Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com, check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we have a fantastic talk with Minnesota Strength and Conditioning Coach Cal Dietz. And basically, guys, we're just going to catch up with everything that's new with Cal out of Minnesota. We're going to get into some ankle rocking and, and talk about what that's done for his student-athletes out there, how that's worked in with triphasic, who he learned it from, uh, and where they're going with those sort of things. And then we're going to get into the muscle activation classes that Cal's been uh, having around the country. Some really fascinating stuff, guys. I, uh, I hope you enjoy the talk as much as I did. I think it's absolutely killer. Let's get right to it. Let me get my hair straight. There we go. <laughs> awesome. Cal, thanks for being on with us, bro. Jay, thanks for having me. I appreciate to, just a chance to get a chat with you again, buddy. It's hey. always good. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Well, thank you. And uh, So let's get right to it. What's the latest and greatest? What's the newest stuff coming around, coming from Cal Dietz these days? You know, I teamed up with uh, Chris Corpus on uh, his ankle rocker. We, we produced it in the high school manual in uh, – the ankle rocker, we're getting some pretty good results. And when, when I say that, I'm basically talking about how the foot carries over during the course of um, the gait, which could be running or, or walking. The uh, the gait obviously is different in how the body functions uh, running and walking. But the mobility ankle rocker is uh, here's here's where it first spot you know came to rock fruition. I guess the ankle rocker is basically the the mobility in the shin angle. As long as the is is increased, and with the shin angle being increased, Jay, instead of at ninety degrees, increased like this, it's uh, actually fires the glutes. Um, the glutes are recruited more. I believe it was um, it was uh, Carmelo Bosco showed that. And but the catch is that yeah, everyone talks about a positive shin angle, but really it's you're sitting here going as long as the foot keeps its structure and its function. So, you know, Chris was using my program, um, some of the triphasic stuff and, and he had, uh, six high school kids. He called me at one point with 36 inch verticals. And then he had a whole team of, of, uh, guys, not the whole team, but, uh, somewhere around 25 to 30 guys with a 30 plus inch vertical total. So I was like, well, what are you, what are you doing with your ankle rocker stuff? And it basically, it's uh it's some exercises it's about it's it's five or six exercises simple fixes and how you coach things up on um on on keeping the function of the ankle intact while you push the limits of the shin angle so you push the limits of your shin angle to this direction and keep the foot the arch intact and so basically you're teaching the foot to become more to become stronger more mobile and hold its function because if the arch collapses because you've pushed that shin too far forward, 
then what you have is you you basically got a dysfunctional joint that's the last push off for all the force that has been developed through the hip and the knee. So I actually wanted to do it so that made sure we didn't have any uh, running issues or uh, sprinting or plyometric issues in my hockey player. So we started it in actually December, I think, of um, a couple years ago. And what we saw was even in the hockey boot where the guys were in a solid boot for people that doesn't know, that don't know the hockey world, Jay, the guys started skating and the women, they would skate lower. Why? Because they could get a more positive shin angle and get into better position when they, when they ran. And, or I'm sorry, skated. And the same thing happens when they run. The, the greater the acceleration angle in the athlete, the more dominant and, and uh, highly functional the calf has to be. Because think about all the forces. You know, people, people can quarter squat seven, 800 pounds, you know, maybe in, the, in like half squat with a sports back squat. Uh, and the knees or, or do leg slide with 800 pounds, and that's how much force is coming down on you when you when you accelerate. And if you can't get into the position because your your shin is not uh, mobile enough, you are going to be more upright when you run. So then you can't accelerate as fast. Um, there's also some other flaws with the, the acceleration, but with that being said. Um, I think the you know people say, well, I just got to get my shins and, and feet more mobile. No, because if sometimes too much mobility creates instability and lack of strength, right? Mm -hmm. So the problem is it's got to be a, a strengthening um, thing and then also a mobility thing at the same time, especially with the ankle joint. Because really, if you look at the hips, they're pushing down. The knee pushes down. The force goes to the heel for those two joints. And then the rest of the foot is what displaces you in different angles, okay? Because your hip might be at one angle. Your, your leg's really pushing down. Now, your foot might be placed out, but in the, it's still the, the hip goes right down and the knee go right down to the foot, and then everything is displaced based upon how the foot's functioning and going in different directions, whether you're stopping, whether you're accelerating, and even in top-end speed. Um, what I can do is, Jay, I have a lecture that you can share with people on the ankle rocker stuff uh, in great detail about a 20-minute lecture that I have that you, it's on YouTube you can you can share it with people if we want to do that too so um, but the thing about Chris was he had these great jumpers and the fact that if your hip and your foot are applying or your hip and your knee are applying large amounts of force and your foot doesn't finish it off and you don't get a lot of, of mobility at the end of the jump you're losing all that potential force. So when you go to jump, if your heel comes off the ground here versus here, you can see this person is automatically going to jump three to four inches higher just because they're pushing hard or uh, their foot lifted them farther. So then if you actually get the foot to function at a high level when the heel leaves the ground still, you're actually accelerating them even higher. So yes, it, it was a shock, but you can get even another three to five, six inches sometimes off somebody's vertical. So hmm. that's interesting. So you're looking basically then to kind of cliff notes it a bit, basically like entire ankle range of motion, not just dorsiflexion, but you're also looking at plantar flexion as well. Yes, because so when you cock the ankle, let's say when the lineman fires off, Jay, if they can't get a really good shin angle, a good a uh, hundred I mean not a hundred percent of the time but a majority of the time when somebody talks about hip mobility and a guy can't play low 
Jay, it's usually, I not find it's the hips, it's the ankle that touches the ground and the foot and his ankle and his ankles are too tight and he can't get a good positive shin angle to drive. So what they do is they play higher and then your linemen aren't able to stay low and get in position because people often assume that hip mobility, um, especially in, in, in stuff where you're drive blocking or you're accelerating, that it's the hip problem, but it's not. It's really the ankle problem because then because because Jay, if I run straight ahead and let's say I'm running straight ahead and and they arch collapse, well, or you can't, or you, when if your foot hits the ground and your shin only goes, your foot only has the 90 degree mobility versus let's say a, a 120, 130, you will find hip extension. But the problem is, as you run straight ahead, and you'll see in these videos that I have that. And uh, Chris had caught all these seven different ankle functions on on video and actually on camera. So in the lecture that I give you, you see seven different ways that the foot functions when you have a bad ankle. And he caught all these. And some of these kids came to him and then later became – two of them, I think, became state champions in Illinois in track and field because they fixed those ankle functions. Because if, if – let's say the shin can't go any farther than this – then what one, one example is that you have a bouncy runner. So the guy that's bouncing too much, you, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And some bouncy is fine, but when you get too much um, vertical force, then you're losing energy displacing the body forward. Now, um, these seven different ankle things, like some kids will you, – you actually, if you take the, the insert from their shoes out – Jay, it should run from the heel. The force should run through the side of the foot, and then the, it goes to the, about the mid part of the foot, maybe to the, the the end of the three quarters up by before the toes start, and then all the wear should come out the big toe. But then when you you realize your kids don't have good ankles, and you pull that insert out, the force may be going out the side, maybe going straight ahead. It actually may go towards the big toe and then spin out the side. So someone's foot may actually go straight ahead for in the last little bit. They spin. You'll see their toe externally, their foot externally rotates when they leave the ground, and then the the uh, side of the the force comes out the side of the toe. And and I mean, I just just found somebody with that and young kid, and then they had some bunions on their foot that had developed because of that running problem. So um, if you don't get all these seven things corrected, now a lot of world class uh, speed coaches don't really maybe realize this because you wouldn't have a world class runner. That had these problems. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know, we showed it to one one advanced coach. I won't uh, say who it was, but he was like, you're exactly right. He's, he, you know, you see these things in, in younger athletes or athletes that aren't the the elite level track people. But those aren't I don't I don't have those like they have other problems that they have to deal with right. to deal with. You know what I mean? I have bad, bad running hockey kids that have bad ankles who are in boots year round you know and I, I think back to some of the running gates when I, I coached uh was a strength coach for basketball same thing they you know especially with the tape they wear and all that stuff so um I'll send you a short video on that uh ex explaining all that in great detail with photograph and you can just share it with people if that's okay oh yeah totally we'll just we'll put that right uh link right in below it and perfect just uh, and on the website it'll just be tied right below so that it'll be 
this video and then the one right under it will just have that lecture. Okay. Especially if it's only 20 minutes. I mean, shoot. Yeah. That's that's a no-brainer, you know. The crazy gonna... thing too, like I mean, some of these joints get locked up. I'm shocked cuz what the bone ha or the think the foot has 27 bones and 33 joints. And you can literally um I don't want to, you know, some of these YouTube videos, if you look at joint manipulations in the foot, you can, uh, you can actually get, I, I've gotten like 15 degrees just looking at YouTube, look at some joint manipulations in the foot and gotten 15 more degrees. So a kid goes from 90 degrees on his angle to, to one fifth or, you know, to 105 or even 110, maybe that's 20. You're sitting here going, that's an increased mobility. This kid can run lower when he changes directions. When he changes directions, he can get his body into a better position to spring out faster. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and people talk about how the knees don't go in front of the toes, but I, I'm still waiting in sports where that doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. In every situation, and I, I in my video, I, I got pictures of Walter Payton and Barry Sanders, which are, are two pretty good running backs over a, a time span, I thought, <laughs> and they you know, their knees are, are six to eight inches in front of their toes. It's mind-blowing. You know, you use this story about uh, Walter Payton where he would he would run that uh, hill over in Chicago. I think it was a reservoir. And other people tried to run it, and their calves would be blown up. And it's not because they didn't have strong calves. It was because their ankle mobility and the, the, the hill, one, they couldn't run it sometimes because they'd be, they'd be running straight up because their ankle mobility wouldn't work. And the other one, it would put their foot in such a bad compromised position that uh, it would blow their calves up so much that they became injured. And people have tried it a number of times, and very few people have been able to do it. Well, Walter Payton could do it because of his, his, his mobility of his ankle. And you look at pictures and watch him run, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, and I was thinking about all that the whole time, just working with basketball guys and the shoes and all this and that. And, you know, and a lot of their problems, too, stems from that whole big toe being blocked because there's no crease in the sneakers that they wear all the time and it's it's crazy it, it's it's funny that you, you you've seen it back through that as well yeah well you know it's like the finishing part of of extension if if you got great knees and strong you know i, I answered the question i got kids that are explosive in their hips and knees why aren't they jumping higher well it was the finish product of the jump that the ankle wasn't functioning at the highest level, you know? And then, you know, if the ankle's not functioning, where's the knee pain start? In my opinion, 90% of the time, knee pain will start in your hips, the driver, or the only thing that contacts the ground is the foot. Think about it. Mm -hmm. And then the, everything just goes to the chain, uh, the, the joint in between. So it's either your hips or your foot, and I think most of the time it's your foot that may cause those little subtle knee pains and overuse problems. Because really, Jay, if the foot... If the foot is a greater absorber, if you have great range of motion with high function, what transpires is your ability to stop. So, so think about this, Jay. If you go to stop, you plant your foot, and your knee comes to 90 degrees, and then there's all this pressure from the um, femur, like, and you, you don't have much range of motion, the forces up at the knee are, are pretty great. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have a, an extra 20 to 30 degrees range of motion, you're sitting here going, to stop – with high function of the foot, because if the foot collapses, then your knees go valgus, less likely to absorb all that force, and maybe, maybe, just a possibility, some ACL issues. 
Because if that joint stops instantly and the force from the femur comes flying down, something gives. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, definitely when you stop, it, it becomes a problem. So, um, And if there's lack of mobility and or strength, then there's always likelihood that you're going to get hurt. Yeah. Well, and that in piggybacking off that even more is it's going to allow you to teach the athletes to be able to move with better technique. You know, and that's something that we talk about a lot is so many of these techniques are overlooked and, and not taught. But if there is a physical limiting factor or no pun intended, a break, you know, um, it, it's going to get in the way of that even more. There's no question. I mean, it's like I'm, I'm finding that if I can fix the structural problems, make sure that all these things, the joints are correct, the body actually knows what to do. The reason they're doing it is because there's a compensation or there's some some dysfunction that you don't know about yet. Does that make sense? Yep. 100%. I mean, you know how people flare their arms, especially hockey guys. You know that when they run. Mm-hmm. I'm finding that coaching it, they just – what they do is they learn to run with their arms held in. And I found that their lats are often – and their rectors are often locked up. So when I release those things in their shoulders through some soft tissue stuff that we do, that I can actually stop the elbows from flaring when they run. And you're sitting here going, and make sure the ankle rocker, because let's say, for example, if your foot, if your foot turns in, instead of going through the big toe, if it turns in too much, you will compensate in your upper body by also flaring out your arms even more Okay, so when you see that pattern, you better check the foot. If the foot's fine, then you know the lats are basically shut off because they can't stabilize the posterior chain of the body while it's running to to offset the forces from pushing off the ground. So um, when I fix those two or the one that has the problem, what I'm finding is that the kids often, uh, you don't have to coach them to fix that joint because all you're doing is coaching them to run with their elbows held in when they shouldn't, when you actually should be fixing the compensation pattern. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming what you're talking about there is the activation work that you guys have been doing and you've run a few clinics with that this summer. So maybe that's a good lead in to segue into that. Yeah. Well, you know, with the activation, um, uh, what we're finding is the activation sport is the website.com, but what we're finding is it's 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 a pretty powerful tool that it starts to explain a lot of things like um, different reasons people have injuries and when I say that like what we're finding is that we're finding all these people have some various compensation patterns so um, let, let me give you this example some crazy stuff is that we uh, I'm actually able to predict which glove one of my hockey players wear out faster. Because when they try to get hip flexion or hip extension, they actually compensate with one of their hands. So we call that they're an arm driver or a hand driver. And when I say that, like you see people all the time that run maybe with one hand that, or, or both hands that are really stiff and rigid and they're always squeezing their fist. Well, if you do some muscle testing on them, I'm telling you, Jay, they will go from like a 10 where I, I let's say I test their psoas. And I let them squeeze their hand as hard as they can. Like, I can't move the psoas. They can hold me off the table. And that's like 200 and we'll say 50 pounds, maybe 40 pounds, 240 pounds, okay? Uh, <laughs> and you're sitting here going, this psoas can hold me. But then I have him just take his hand and, and, and move it. 
and take that what we call as a driver out that promotes um, tension and, and flexion. Uh, let, let's say it helps facilitate the flexors like the psoas. Jay, he, I can push him down with one finger. So we have a compensation pattern there because let's say he has a driver on his left side of his body that is an arm, but his right side's not his arm. Maybe it's his jaw or some other things. What we'll find is that his left glove always wears out faster. Now, if we can clear that compensation pattern, um, guess what? You're going to find that he functions at a higher level. He's less likely to get injuries. Um, there's other drivers like a quad driver. Your quad is actually – what happens there is your quad's an extensor, but it becomes the main flexor of the hip. And when I say that, if the quad is the main flexor in the psoas – let's say I test an athlete's psoas and there is no psoas. It doesn't really turn on when I isolate it and muscle test it. But then I do – a flexor test with the quad and it locks in and it so his quad is his hip flexor but his quad also has to be the hip extensor what transpires jay is the quad now does two jobs so when you see these people with big juicy quads it's almost a sure sign that their quad is their hip flexor and not their psoas so when you take that compensation away and i know people get nervous about this guess what happens the quad Get smaller. But here's what happens also. They run faster, they jump higher, and the quad gets stronger because now it's not trying to adapt to do two jobs. It only does its main job. Does that make sense? 100%. So you're sitting here going, when you see a big set of calves out of the ordinary, something like, like there is a compensation pattern that's taking place, and that's what we're learning to do is, is uh, develop these uh, – uh, uh, methods to take those compensation patterns away. And and I'm talking, we, we can literally take them away in a, in a couple minutes in some cases. Other cases might take 20, but but we're getting to that point where people are taking those compensation patterns away. Um, it, it's pretty crazy. People that are like, say, we say jaw drivers. You see athletes always straining their mouths when they're lifting weights and so forth. You can tell them not to but what we found, Jay, is if you just tell them not to, they become weaker almost instantly. So, so I use this example. If you find somebody that does that, just do a test. Let's do a bicep curl where they push their limits maybe where they can get three, okay, and three or five even. And then you have them take that jaw away. You have them just sing while they do a bicep curl. Jay, they might not even be able to move the weight is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? So these are all patterns that shouldn't exist. They should be able to rack their jaw and do whatever function they want. And these are some of the compensation patterns. Injuries we've seen with it, shoulder problems. Um, oh, let me give you this, this compensation. Jay and I actually have a, a, another like 12-minute video explaining this. But the one thing that I would talk about is let's say you have a, a – the way that hip extension should take place is the – let's say you're running with your right leg, hits the ground – your glute should fire first, your right glute, then your right hamstring, and then the left QL in the posterior chain between the, the hips and the rib. What will transpire then is if you have a compensation pattern, uh, so your glutes, hamstring, contralateral QL. Some I have a lot of athletes at times that have came to me that will have a QL. It, the order now becomes the QL fires first the hamstring, and then the glute. 
So instead of the, nor the correct pattern, which is the glute, hamstring, and QL, you have an explosion of force out the body. The other way, you have an athlete, let's say he skates and his back locks up, he runs a 400 and his back locks up, he's on the court, over time his back gets tight, has to come out. That's a sure sign that his QL initiates hip extension, then his hamstring, then his glute. And what transpires from that, Jay, is that lumbar area gets locked, the, the spine can't mobilize and move. And then what we see is, we actually see that when that back locks up, then the rib cage gets collapsed down into the hip. Now, if you're, if you're normal, in our opinion, that rib cage, the bottom rib should have four fingers between that and the top of the hip bone. People that have that pattern will have two, one. I've even had this, Jay. I've had athletes where their rib cage gets completely pulled down into the hip bone. That's a compensation pattern. Yeah, check your athletes. Lay them on the ground. Check. Feel, find that very bottom rib. Now, you may get confused because you've never felt it, but that bottom rib can be inside the hip bone. And a healthy, normal person, our opinion, is four fingers between that. That's a scary thought. It's a sure sign that they're going to have back problems, in our opinion, because everything's collapsed down, collapsed, and then that lumbar spine can't move. Fluid can't get in. Things can't happen. So one of the things that we see cause that problem is, is bracing of the core. You brace your core, and what it causes, it actually takes you if you have a normal glute firing pattern where the glute fires first it actually takes you into hip extension where your ql fires first our thoughts are that if the glute fires correctly the spine will stabilize itself the exact right amount right does that make sense because I, I i always go back to this example jay I, I, if you want to run a 40 brace your core and run it and then run a 40 without it without bracing your core just natural right what's going to happen Pitch a baseball. People, so, so why in training are we, we causing dysfunctional firing patterns? That's, that's my biggest question. Same thing with bench. You can even put somebody on their back where you don't think they're using their glutes that much. I only did it with a large number of athletes, and it only worked 100% of the time. I'm not a statistician, so, but we'll just go with it, right? The, the bench press, Jay, if they bring the bar down and use their glutes to fire and reverse the bar – the bar moved faster 100% of the time. You know what I mean? Now, here's another trick to fire the glutes, Jay. I want people, you can try this. I want people basically to get a pretend bar in their hand, stand up, do an RDL. Now, when you do that RDL, I want you to do the wrong thing. The wrong thing would be in, when you, after you go down, the bar's at the bottom, you keep your toe, you, you take your big toe and you point it to the ceiling while you pull up on that RDL. Do that a couple times, see how it feels. Now, the correct way to do it, Jay, is I want you to go down into the RDL position. And when you start to, before you start to come up, you curl your toe hard into the ground. It actually causes the glutes to fire and then do your RDL. So every exercise with hip extension, we actually have our athletes take their big toe, curl into the ground, and the glute automatically turns off. And I don't know if it's a reflex, but think about it. When you walk, if your big toe didn't fire, then your foot could slip out from underneath you, okay? Same thing I've always 
coached in my plyometrics didn't know exactly why. They just looked better when somebody used their big toe into the ground, right? I knew the force was supposed to go through it, but what it actually does is facilitate the glute from to fire. So whenever we jump, whenever we do anything, we really promote the glute or the big toe to fire also, which will facilitate the glute. Now, the example I give is when you get all these compensation patterns um, um, fixed, and the other main hip extension one is instead of the QL firing, actually the hamstring fires first and then the QL and then the glute. And I'll send you another video, a short brief video people can watch with that. But Jay, you're sitting here going, when my, the other day we went through a heavy triphasic, super maximal, 120%. Then we transitioned into more of a power, explosive, lots of jumping. When people came back um, after the first day, we were asking them how they felt. So you got lots of jumps, lots of high speed, maybe band work, really reactive stuff. And it, I didn't know this would happen, but all my guys, I knew their patterns were correct because we have a way of testing them. And they all complained after plyometrics, lots of plyometrics, lots of high speed stuff. It wasn't their calves. It wasn't their quads. It wasn't their hamstrings. It wasn't their back that was sore. Their glutes were sore from doing jumping. So you're going, I know I have the right patterns in place for this athlete. Because look, if that QL is do, is sore, you got a little muscle J right there between you know the hip and the ribs. Or do you want that big monster of a muscle doing all the work, right? That that's that that's pretty simple to me. I mean, I want that glute doing all the work for that particular athlete, to say the least. You know, when you're when you're running and your back locks up or your hamstrings get tight. It's, it should be your glute that swells up. You know what I mean? So, and it's, it's a prime example. And, and Jay, I'm telling you, uh, I just did a clinic, took an assessment. 80% of the people in the room when they were walking around moving, they had the wrong firing pattern. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's their society. Maybe it's the way they carry themselves in regards to sitting all day or whatever it may be. But we're not using our glutes to, uh, you know, and, and like I said, I, I, what I do when I say that, people think, okay, I did activation stuff with my glutes. Well, muscle test them. Get on YouTube, mus muscle test for glute, and see if they really turn on, okay? Some of these, Jay, if you have the wrong pattern, in my opinion, and you do an activation exercise with the wrong fucking pattern, Jay, you're ingraining the wrong pattern. Right. That's all you're doing, you know? I mean, if it's not a very detailed re-education of what you're doing, then you got a problem. So, you know, add your toe. I got some uh, trigger point methods that we use to turn on the glutes too that seem to be very effective, um, which is really part of the activation stuff that we do, this, the activation sports. But um, you, you, it, it's very hard for people to uh, – let's say because you take 3,000, maybe 8,000 steps a day somewhere in that range, me maybe a couple hundred – you know, on some days, right? But you're sitting here going, if I'm doing all those steps, let's say I do a 10,000 step day where something really has gone wrong, okay? The only reason I take 10,000 steps, you're sitting here going, I've, I, if I have the wrong group pattern, I've ingrained the wrong pattern. So you're telling me even 50 activation exercises in the weight room are going to change that 10,000 step pattern? I, I don't think so. It's not going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you're sitting here with this activation stuff, the one thing that we do is 
actually it it actually starts with the breathing and we do like a reset on the breathing through uh, some fascia release when we say that jay um let me talk you through this what we're finding that if you have the right breathing pattern uh, breathing's been you know lewitt i believe out of uh, europe the pt he he talked about it that breathing is tied to every movement and when we say that so if you have the right breath a parasympathetic breath we truly believe and many people are sympathetic breathers with their chest um, we use a method that we actually open up the breathing and then people actually reset their breathing um, after they've had a treatment with a, the, the correct belly breaths um, even faster than trying to, to just consciously do it uh, what we found is that if you actually uh, a friend of mine Mike T Nelson went to a cadaver lab non embalmed and he talked about how the psoas in the fascia were tied into the diaphragm so crazy that you, you couldn't even separate them. You know, it, it would be almost impossible. So here's, I'm going to talk you through a, a qu quick thought process. So if I'm sympathetic breathing all day and my psoas is tight and shortened, the antagonist of the psoas is that, and the psoas is tight, then the glutes are downregulated. Mm-hmm. Because the psoas is tight. So if I can get the diaphragm to parasympathetic breathe correctly and the psoas releases, then the glutes can turn on. So really this whole foundation can be thought as is just – and I, I don't get too far into breathing. I just know that a parasympathetic breath – and let me give you an example. The other day I uh, I was at a clinic and, and we were um, just looking at somebody's breathing. I tested a psoas. Somebody else tested it. They gave it a one. I, I gave it a two or they gave it a two and I gave it a one. This we got this person to breathe with this breathing reset pattern correctly, and lo and behold, after about four minutes while I was talking, we retested the psoas, and they gave it a seven or an eight. Uh, each of us did okay because it just turned it on because it's tied to breathing the psoas because it's so tied to the diaphragm and a parasympathetic breath. Your muscles can turn on, things relax hamstring mobility just with the right breathing in uh, with some of the methods that we use can increase your hamstring by 20 uh, degrees just because look if you have a five percent increase in muscle tension the blood flow into a tissue in an area or the muscle i should say can be decreased as much as 30 percent so by doing the right parasympathetic breath belly breathing you actually release t the tension throughout the body at, at crazy levels so that you can then have more organic substrates go through. Um, talk about conditioning. Let me, let me give you one example with my female Olympian. She was a three-time Olympian. I gave her this treatment, uh, this breathing um, thing and, and a few other things. Her bike workout that she loved was a, a, uh, a bike workout that she was always at 160 beats. You know, if she was overtrained, she might be a little higher. She really felt good. She'd be about one, one four, 158. I gave her this breathing treatment, Jay, and lo and behold, the next day she went to 140 on the same watts, the same RPMs, everything. So she was now 20 beats more efficient. She held that for roughly six months before we had to address it again. I mean, that's pretty impressive when you can get the same workout and your heart re heartbeats drop to 140. Oh, yeah. So, and, and we've seen the same results. Uh, you know, Mike T. Nelson has worked with us on that, and he got the best of Megwave readings that he had for for uh, like eight days in a row that he'd ever had as soon as he got the treatment or basically or the um, the enhancement we call them so that's pretty awesome man well think about it jay 
if, if you don't think breathing's important or oxygen, hold your breath for five minutes, right? Yeah, Just you know, right. <laughs> So it's pretty nuts. Yeah, no doubt. But yeah, man, listen, there's about 50 freaking huge gems in this talk, Cal. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time, sharing everything, open and honest as always, brother. It's, uh, it's great having you on. It's great talking again, bud. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, man. We'll be in touch really soon, brother. Thank you. Awesome. Huge thanks again to Cal Dietz for spending the time to talk with us today about uh, everything that's going on up there in Minnesota right now, all the latest and greatest from Cal. Guys, some absolutely fascinating stuff, you know, looking at the ankle rocker stuff. And we got those videos posted right below, uh, both on YouTube and the webpage and on Facebook. Uh, they'll be on all those pages. So, you know, check them out. Make sure you know what's, uh, what's going on because Cal shared a, a heck of a lot of stuff. And highly recommend you guys checking out those muscle activation classes too. Have heard nothing but big time stuff from them. So check those out, guys. And as always, if you enjoyed the conversation, took anything from it, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Again, guys, all we're trying to do is spread, you know, great information and keep conversations going. So if you, if you found something from it, we'd really appreciate you sharing it through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it may be. So thanks a lot, guys, for being a part of what we do here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We'll be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.